0: So last week, uh, Charles uh, uh, covered Acts 11, uh, Acts 10, and if you want to open your Bibles to Acts 11, that's, uh, we'll carry on the story there. Charles talked about, about the us and them, and uh, I think had the courage to tackle a very difficult and, and relevant topic. Um, and uh, so we pick up the story after that us and them episode where Peter went to the house of Cornelius as a Jew, going into a Gentile household. A difficult thing to do, and those who were with him, and everybody questioned it. Uh, and he breached that gap of the us and them. Uh, Peter stepped out of his comfort zone of being, I'm a Jew. I'm going to a Gentile's house. Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a big thing for him. It, uh, he had to wrestle with his conscience. So we're going to carry through on that theme a bit today for ourselves getting out of the comfort zone in Acts 11 and we start in Acts 11 verse, uh, verse 1 it says the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God so when Peter went up to Jerusalem the circumcised believers criticized him and said You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and then it carries on from there. Um, So as a reminder, Peter wasn't in Jerusalem. He was in this town called Joppa, which was near the coast uh, in the south of Israel. He went to Caesarea where uh, Cornelius was. And uh, it's only when he went back to Jerusalem that this news sort of spread went ahead of him. So when he arrived in Jerusalem, they were waiting for him. It's like, we heard, Peter, (laughs) you went into the house of a Gentile. And then he tells them the whole story. I'm not going to read all of that again. Uh, I do find it interesting that the story is repeated three times, basically. (laughs) Peter tells it as it happens to him, and then he goes to the house of Cornelius and tells it again, and now in Jerusalem he tells it again. You see, like, wow, that's a, the Bible is normally very concise and yes. to the point, point. Yes. and I don't know if any of you have any thoughts of why is it repeated three times? Have you ever thought about that? Sure it. What was that? make sure you get it. To make sure you get it, yeah. Maybe that's a good, uh, that's a good point. It was certainly a momentous occasion. It was a, a shift in three thousand years of Bible history, where it was all about God's chosen people, the Israelites, the Jews, and, and, and a shift from that to now it's for the gospel is for everybody. So I think, uh, yeah, it's to make sure we get it. Um, maybe there's another thing in, in the Jewish uh, law. Uh, Three witnesses, it's what's needed to make something confirmed and sure and conclusive. And maybe it was written down three times to make it lawful under the Jewish law. So look, it was told three times the story. No more witnesses are needed. That's just my my personal thought about it. Um, I don't know if it's true, but that's how I've been thinking about it. So anyway, Peter tells his story from verse 5 to verse uh, 14. And then we pick it up in verse 15 at the end of his story. He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So if you like uh, my first point, if you like word games, I like things that have a rhythm to it. My first point is challenged comfort causes criticism. (laughs) for those of you who speak Afrikaans, I know there's at least two of you, or three, who mm-hmm. understand Afrikaans. There's a, there's a Dutch philosopher, a contemporary modern day philosopher, she, she's still alive, called Lucia. That's her name down there, Lucia. She's very famous in the Netherlands. And this is one of her sayings. It says, in Dutch it says, van denken des It means, to really think makes you tired. So it's easier to just judge. And I love that because that's what, you know, why do we criticize? Why do we jump to conclusions? Why, why do people, in Peter's case, for example, why did they, when he arrived in Jerusalem, they, they took him to task, or they called him on the carpet, or I think in the NIV it says they, uh, the NIV says they criticized him. The NET says they took issue with him. Uh, they wanted to argue with him. When we don't make the effort to understand, it is much easier to just criticize. And if our comfort, our own personal comfort zone gets challenged, uh, it's so easy to just jump to criticism. And this whole problem that we have with being critical or criticizing is actually one of the oldest things In the world, in humanity, can anybody think where, where in the Bible do we first read of a critical attitude or (laughs) stirring up criticism? Cain and Abel. Pardon? Cain and Abel. Abel? Yeah, that's pretty early. But even before that, Satan. Satan. Yeah, Yeah, Satan with Eve says, like, in, are you sure? Are you sure, God? really doesn't want you to eat of that tree? I mean, really, isn't that nasty of him? I mean, he, he just doesn't want you to know. He was just getting criti- being critical of God. It started right in the beginning. And it didn't really stop after that. Cain and Abel, you know, he was critical of his sacrifice. And, and then Noah was criticized for, why are you building this boat? I mean, where's the rain? And throughout the New Testament, one story after another, is people get criticized for their beliefs, for their actions. um, And it continues in the New Testament with John the Baptist, with Jesus, and we even see it now here in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Criticism and being critical and uh, criticizing others is, I think, very much part of our sinful nature. And it's something we have to deal with. Uh, It's something that people worry about as well. There was one study done uh, about what are the things that people worry about that cause them stress and anxiety. Uh, 40% was about the past. 30% is about the future. So those are the two biggest ones. And the next 12% is about what other people think of you, of being criticized. so 12% of what from this study of what people have anxiety and worried about worry about is criticism from others of being criticized for what you think or what you do or what you say. So we have to deal with this problem of criticism and being criticized or being critical ourselves. Let's start with the with the first one. Dealing with critical attitudes, my own, because, you know, it's not nice to be criticized, but I think if most of us, or maybe many of us, or maybe it's just me because I'm a, I'm a real sinner, uh, if you think about it, at some point you have critical attitudes, at least I have from time to time. There's a Chinese proverb that says, the person who says it cannot be done should not interrupt the person doing it. I think that's the first question to ask ourselves you know, when we have these critical attitudes, It's like in, it's not easy to criticize, but can you actually do what you're criticizing, or what you have an opinion about? Abraham Lincoln says he has the right to criticize who has the heart to help. So I think that's always a good starting point to, when we see critical attitudes in ourselves, when we notice it. it's like, in, OK. I have this critical attitude, these critical thoughts, but do I have the heart to actually make a difference about what I'm (coughs) criticizing? Am I willing to actually make a difference? Am I willing to engage? Criticism is very often expressed through gossip and slander. Uh, And we even see it here in Acts because what happened in verse one, we, we hear that the apostles and the believers throughout Judea, including all the way to, to Jerusalem, heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter arrived there, they criticised him. People had critical attitudes even before Peter arrived. How did that happen? Like, oh, did you hear what Peter did? Oh yeah, I heard from him. And then, uh, did you hear what Peter did? No, I didn't. No. Peter, uh, John told me that Paul told me that, uh, <laughs> that that Peter went to this house. I think one of the most important things we can do with our critical attitude is uh, and it's a good Christian principle is that to speak to people, not about people, it's so much easier to tell someone else about the critical thing than. The thing or the person that you're criticizing. Now, to their credit, uh, when Peter arrived, they did address him and say, Peter, can you please come and explain what's going on here? And that's a good lesson as well. How do we deal with uncritical attitudes? I think, first of all, be aware not to slander or gossip, but to speak to people. And if you do have something on your heart, then do what they did and address the issue and then give someone a chance to explain and then listen. And that's what they did. They listened. They made an effort to understand and guess what? It changed their attitude. At the end of the conversation, it says in verse 18, they had no further objections. It made a difference when they when they uh, use their critical thoughts to gain understanding and to give someone a chance to, to address the issue that they were feeling critical about. So when we feel critical about something, I think it's, that's a good way to go about it as well, to, to talk to someone and, and try and understand rather than try to criticize. It takes a lot more effort to try and understand than to criticize, because you have to listen, you have to be patient, you have to put yourself in the other one's shoes, you have to see where they're coming from, uh, and have the openness, open-hearted and open minded to take on board and accept that maybe you're wrong, and be shifted out of your own comfort zone. Because when you're in this comfort zone, it's easy to criticize. But when you take out of the comfort, when you're taken out of the comfort zone, you realize, oh, there's another point of view that may be very valid. But it's that's only possible to see the other point of view if we step out of our comfort zone. That's why I love this uh, this first picture here of the oops, of the little golden goldfish and somehow these uh, greenish uh, little <laughs> goldfish, and he decided, whoa. I'm going to be with them. They're different from me, but let me jump to the other side. So that's how we deal with our own uh, critical uh, thoughts. What if you're on the receiving side? How do we deal with critical attitudes from others? I think the first thing to realize is to avoid criticism, do nothing. Say nothing and be nothing. If you don't stand for anything, and if you're completely passive, if you have no convictions, then you're safe. Then you will probably never be criticized. Just don't do anything, then nobody can say anything. But that's hardly the way to live a life of conviction and a life of of any kind of purpose or a meaningful life. It's a reality of life that at some point... Something that we say or do will be criticized. And I think that's a good place to start, is to realize that uh, some things we do challenge other people's comfort zones. And to understand that that reaction is natural sometimes. When someone's comfort zone is challenged, it stirs up criticism in their hearts. How did Peter deal with... uh, With the criticism. First of all, Peter started from the beginning and he told them the whole story. Mm -hmm. Now, if we read it again, you would think, like, that's a long story. Do we have to repeat it again? Mm -hmm. But, you know, there was this heart of, okay, patiently explaining. So, okay, you know, I've got the opportunity. Let me give them the facts first. Mm -hmm. I'll tell them the story, try and help them to understand where I'm coming from. Then, secondly, he connected it to Jesus. In verse 16, he says, then I remembered what the Lord had said. Now we're connected to some spiritual principle, to, to, uh, to something that Jesus said. And that, especially when you're sort of in a Christian community, makes it like, an, oh, okay, hang on. How do I argue with that? You know, uh, n- Now it's connected to some truth in the Bible. And Peter convinced him by saying, remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and how he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And then finally, he asked a question. He didn't try and prove that, so, you see, I'm right. Remember what Jesus said? I'm right, right? <laughs> he just asked a question. He said, well, you know, I remember what Jesus said, so where am I to stand in the way? And he left it there. That's the kind of question where it pushes someone else to, to, to start stepping out of their comfort zone. Jesus was really good at asking these kind of questions, to draw people out of their comfort zone and, and, and think out of the box, think out of where they are, and draw them to another, to another place. And I think Peter learned that lesson. And he simply ends with a question. And that convinced them. That helped them to see that they needed to change their perspective and get out of their comfort zone uh, and step out. So those two points, uh, dealing with our own critical attitudes and how we deal with other other people's critical attitudes. So after that, we carry on uh, in verse 19 of Acts 11. In verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Oh, really? (laughs) Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I love this saying, you're only confined by the walls you build yourself. So much of what we restrict ourselves with is because of our own thinking, because of our own limitations, uh, because of the comfort zone we've created for ourselves. And... On the one hand, in verse 19, you know, bless those disciples that went through persecution for the faith. They had conviction. They had endurance. They held fast. They held on to the faith. They did not give up. They did not give up on their faith. And when they were scattered, they didn't sit down and say, oh, what happened now? they still carried on and went from synagogue to synagogue talking to their fellow Jews about the gospel. So you know, I think, again, we, 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 we are, sometimes we quick to criticize, you know, oh, those Pharisees, or oh, these Jews, you know, they only spoke to other Jews. I think like, uh, like Shaul shared last week, when you grow up like that, it's very hard to break out of that environment. I related so much to what he said last week. You know, if, uh, I think it's only when I sort of got to the age of my middle teen years, maybe 15, 16 years, that I started thinking for myself that, that this bubble that I'm living in, in a white neighborhood, in a white school, in a white church, uh, this bubble is not real. Mm-hmm. And if you grow up with that, you don't, you, you don't even think about questioning it because that is your reality that is your world and you know apartheid is a very extreme example of that but uh, all of us in some way sometimes need to break out of a spiritual comfort zone or some uh, preconceived ideas we have some comfort zone that we have maybe it's not, maybe it's not that extreme like our example from li- from growing up and being raised in in that uh, extreme separatist kind of environment. But to some extent, whatever way you were raised has influenced all of our thinking, our, our, uh, our behavior, and even the way we look at others, and even the things we criticize sometimes. If we take a step back and think like, is that just because of my own comfort zone? And is there something that I need to break out of? You know, in verse 20, some some had the courage. Some of them began to speak to the Greeks also. Some of them decided, you know what, I need to get out of the spiritual comfort zone. I know what Jesus said. He said, go to all nations. Imagine that. Growing up as a Jew, maybe you're a a more, more mature, older Jew, in your 40s or 50s. You've never spoken to a Gentile in your life. You've never been to a Gentile's house. And now you have to go and speak to them. And not just speak to them like, oh, lovely weather today, isn't it? Uh, are you enjoying the sunshine? You know, what do we do when we are and we don't want to know what to talk about? We talk about the weather or about... The Six Nations rugby or politics or, oh, there's Brexit. How do you feel feel about Brexit? Um, Oh, yeah, I'm all for it. Really? Are you for it? (laughs) I'm all against it. Really? (laughs) We talk about trivial things. But just imagine that growing up in that environment, suddenly shifting and say, I'm going to go to a Gentile's house. I'm going to eat with a Gentile. I may even eat pork. I may even eat food that's been sacrificed to an idol, so I can tell him about Jesus. It is very hard for us to imagine, in a way. But I think if we take some time and think about it, maybe we can find some spiritual comfort zones that we need to break out of. Even if it's just in evangelism, even that simple of some of them began to speak the Greeks also. Is there limits in who you would reach out to? who you find easier to reach out to and who you find more difficult to reach out to. I was so encouraged last year when uh, in Kashaberry Park in our, our outdoor service, uh, Steve Nugent was baptized because the previous two times, when I first came to London, I came as this South African, African guy that, you know, in this strange new country to a completely different world, a different culture, and in the beginning, I just reached out to other Africans and other South Africans because I felt like we could understand each other and we could relate to each other. And then more and more, it, 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 it was on my heart, it's like, and hang on, I'm in England. Can I help an Englishman to become a Christian? And in those first three years, it never happened. And then we came back, uh, back again from 1999 to 2001, and I had the same desire, I felt like, I had some unfinished business here the last time I came. And I prayed and I prayed, and, and I still didn't help an Englishman to become a Christian. I, I, there, was, there was Joe, and there was Yobo uh, um, and there was, uh, it was, it was Nigerian, and there was uh, Hannes and Manette who were South African, and um, there was uh, 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 Mike Doko who was Zimbabwean, and you know, all these other Africans. So when when Steve was baptized last year, I felt like, thank you, God. (laughs) Finally, a true and proper Englishman (laughs) who just lived down the road in Pinner. As as English, a local Englishman, as English as they come, and he's trained to be a black cab driver. I mean, you cannot get more English than that. (laughs) But I've always, for a, for a while in the beginning, I, I definitely saw this as a barrier, and the barrier wasn't God's barrier; it was my barrier. It's like an oh, you know, I, I can convert Africans, but these English people, man, they're hard, they' are tough to crack. And uh, sorry, nothing personal, you know, Penny <laughs> and Leon and Barry. It's like an oh. And Malcolm, and been there, oh English people can become Christians too, really. <laughs> what are your spiritual comfort zones? If you had to walk down the street, who would you sort of like in no not that one? I'll speak to that one. You know, is it the woman with a hijab that you say, ooh, I don't know about that one, you know? Or is it the woman or the the guy with a red dot on his forehead? It's like, I don't know about him, you know. Let me speak to someone who's more like me. And uh, I think that's a a challenge for all of us, like to become like those, uh, those some of them who began to speak to Greeks also. What is the comfort zone that you need to step out of to say, there's someone else I can speak to? The one who clearly looks like he has a different he, she, it has a different gender identity than what I'm used to, like Charles shared last week. Went to um, a local garden center a week or two ago, and uh, there was a, a, I would say a young man, but he was, he had all the makeup of a young woman. Mm -hmm. And it definitely crossed my mind, like in, oh, it's kind of awkward. I'd like to speak to him. But that's funny. After six years in Amsterdam, I'm used to, to, uh, uh, you know, to interacting with all kinds of gender identities. Uh, but there's, there's always that little bit of a slight awkwardness. The comfort zone. It's like, an, okay, this is not natural. I need to actually make an effort to step out of my comfort zone to share the gospel with this person. To step out of our comfort zone... We need to uh, go from, like these scissors, just cut off the I can't, go from I can't do it to I can do it. Breaking out of your comfort zone is, the pa- it's a pathway to growth. It is an uh, incredible way to grow spiritually, to, to take that step and challenge ourselves a bit and realize, like, wow, I need to grow in my love, my compassion, my uh, get rid of my critical attitudes, my preconceived ideas, my prejudices, uh, to be able to step out of my comfort zone, but to be able to grow in my character and my heart and my life as a Christian. So uh, let's think about that. Let's uh, pray about for God to help us to see what it is, what spiritual comfort zone we're in that we need to break out of. Amen. Thank